want to ask a question, and we're going to talk about a Christmas theme today. Who is the Jesus of Christmas to you? Now, that may sound like a fairly trite question, but as we get into this, you'll see what I mean. Uh, Matthew 1, I want to read a few verses here about the story of, um, of Joseph and Mary and how all that worked out. Matthew 18, 1, 18 through 25. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man, did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. He considered this, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophets. Look, the virgin will conceive, and she will give birth to a son, see the child give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. So, so Mary and, and uh, Joseph were engaged. That's not like engagement today. Uh, first century engagement was a year process, and it was really to pr- pro- prove the purity of both the man and the woman, primarily the woman. And so, obviously, when Mary comes up and says... Uh, Joseph, I'm uh, I'm pregnant, Uh, obviously his head spins, and and then she kind of adds a little bit of mischief to it to him. It's like, uh, uh, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit with God's child. Right. Can you imagine? If Susan had done that to me while we were dating, it's like, we we got to talk. You get it, right? So, uh, obviously, and then Old Testament law, you know, if, if a person was pregnant outside of marriage... Uh, you know, they, they could be stoned. And they were engaged to be married. Literally, the penalty is stoning to death. And so this was a real serious offense. Uh, Joseph knew that. So, you know, he said, what, what do I do? I mean, how can this far-fetched story be true? How can this really happen? Give me a break, Mary. Mary, what? I don't want to tell anybody you're in trouble. And then he went to sleep. And while he was asleep, He had a dream, and then in the dream, an angel appeared to him. Now, let me encourage you, number one, don't discount your dreams. Now, obviously, here's the skinny. The difference between a dream that may be of the Lord saying something to you about your life and one that doesn't is you remember it, and you remember it specifically. I've had dreams this past year, let me say, that I can remember specifically. I had one I shared with my staff team this past week as we had a meeting uh it was of the lord because i still remember i can still see the dream right now that's the difference so joseph had this dream and an angel appeared to him now you know we think about angels at christmas time and you think about the angels appearing to the shepherds in the field and you think about the angel appearing to mary but an angel appearing to joseph in a dream most people don't think about it a whole lot but it really was a big deal in this dream was of the Lord. Let me encourage you again. Don't discount your dreams. I've got a book about and it explains dreams in my office. My, my staff's often going in. I had a dream. We can't forget it. We look it up. You know, it's kind of interesting. Well, Joseph had this dream. And in the dream, the angel said, hey, let her be your wife. What she's saying is absolutely 
correct. Uh, the angel said to Joseph, verse 20, Don't be afraid to take Mary, your wife, for the child within her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. So three things you can get from this angel appearing to Mary that I want to quickly talk about uh, with you this morning. Number one, we surmise from this experience that Joseph had by the angel appearing to him in the dream. Number one, uh, Jesus is God. Everybody say, Jesus is God. Now, that's more significant than you may realize. Now, number two, Jesus was human. Everybody say Jesus was human. And then number three, Jesus is with us. Say it. So we're going to talk about all three. Number one, Jesus is God. So, so you know, the angel said uh, the child within her is conceived by the Holy Spirit, verse 20. Then verse 23, now, now this... This verse uh, was um, written by Isaiah, and this was probably, you know, 700 years prior to Jesus' birth. So all of the Jewish scholars and sages and teachers and such and religious leaders, they knew about this verse. And it says in Isaiah 7, 14, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So that they knew about this prophecy for a long time, but you really got to know the background to see the impact of really, really, really what this did. When Jesus says, I am God, to the Jewish religious people, they're ready to kill him. They're ready to pick up stones and stone him. And you just didn't do that because, okay, you got a bunch of religions in the Middle East in the first century. You got Eastern religions that are full of animism. They believe everything can be a God. I mean, the Hindus have 300 million gods or more. You know, everything's a God, a God of the sun, God of the moon, God of the stars, God of, the, God of uh, uh, rain, uh, God of storms, God of uh, war, yada, yada, yada. And uh, so that's fairly common for them. Uh, then you've got Western religions that were around uh, in the time of Jesus' birth. And, you know, the gods of the Greeks, the gods of the Romans, these gods were uh, full of avarice, uh, full of self-ambition. They were all bent on meeting their own needs at the expense of anything. And they were proud, arrogant. And, and so they actually believed, and go read their writings, they believed that sometimes those gods could appear in human form to meet a particular need. So, so, uh, so maybe, maybe Zeus appeared or maybe Hermes appeared and, you know, to get a particular need for that particular god met. And so they, you know, these religious people, they would... They, they could see that maybe something like that could happen, but Jews were different. Jews didn't think the way anybody else thought when they thought about religious things and God. Jews could not fathom the idea that God could come in a human form, not like the rest of the religious people of his day, because God was so bigger, much bigger than creation. Uh, God could be personal, but God was huge. God made everything. So God's not about to come down in the creation he made. No, no, that God's just beyond that. In fact, the Jews wouldn't even speak his name out loud. If you read Jewish writings today from Hasidic Jews, they'll, they'll leave the O out of the word God if it's written in English. Because they won't, there's no vowels in the Hebrew name for God. Because they didn't, they didn't write it and they didn't pronounce it. They didn't say it because God's bigger than God's bigger than us. And they revered him. So, so when they read this verse, a virgin will conceive a child, give birth to a son, call his name Emmanuel, God with us. 
See, they're thinking that just some big prophet's coming is going to announce that God is real or in some significant, unusual way. But they never thought, never, ever thought that it would literally, literally happen. And when it did, they could not handle it. They thought, they thought the Messiah would come in the pomp and circumstance of a king. He didn't come that way. Blew them out of the water for this to be literally, literally fulfilled. So, um, so, so Matthew shows that Jesus is God and that angel appeared to him and said that Isaiah mentions it. Uh, John chapter 1, here's, uh, here's John again. In the, here's John, the, uh, John in the book of John, the apostle John. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God. The word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him. And nothing was created except through him. The word gave life. Don't you, don't you appreciate the fact that the Bible calls Jesus the word? The living word. That may, you should revere this book. He's called himself by the name of this book, the, Bible, the word. He's the word made flesh. The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought life to everyone. Then verse 14. So the word became human. And made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And uh, we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So um, Paul, who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, he was a leader of the Jews, um, and then was converted on the Damascus Road. Colossians 2.9, For Christ, in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. So, so clearly... You know, he's not just half God, third God, he's all God, right? In a human body, that's, that's, that's a huge deal. And so, you know, the Trinity is a, and these concepts are, are kind of challenging for us to grasp. God is bigger than the universe, he transcends everything we know, but he came and lived in a human body. That's, that's, that's amazing that he would even think about doing that. And we'll get into the, think of why in just a minute but but just think about how that affects everything and and so again he came to live in a human body he's fully God so you got God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit it's hard to think of a person being a trinity but that's what God is the Father in Revelation 4 and 5 he's sitting in a great big chair called a throne got angels all around him saying holy 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 a rainbow of colors around him and then and then in the scriptures Jesus is shown as seated at the right hand of God. So they're two separate persons, right? But Jesus said the Father and I are one. They're one in thought, one in intent, one in purpose, one in motive, one in action. If you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father and then the Holy Spirit. He's the omnipresence of God that fills the universe with himself. Isn't that awesome? That's incredible. It's more than you can really think. I used to think as a kid, I'd think about the Trinity and think, man, I'd just, you know, I'd pop a capillary. It's like, I can't figure all this out. God's a trinity, but he is. And Jesus is God incarnate in a human body. God made flesh. Here's the pre-existence of Christ in Scripture. We just sang the song for God, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God, God sent his Son into the world. See, God sent him. He pre-existed the baby in the manger. Uh, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. John eight forty two. Jesus told uh, them, If God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. Now, now he said it that way. What does that verbiage tell you? He preexisted that baby. That's incredible. 
We'll get into it further in a minute. John 13, 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and he had come from God and would return to God. See, the pre-existence of Christ, pre-baby in a manger. John 16, 28, yes, I come from the Father into the world. Now I leave the world, return to the Father, he said to his disciples, preparing them for his departure by the death of the cross, on the cross. John 16, then his disciples uh, said, at last you're speaking plainly and not figuratively. Now we understand that you know everything and there's no question, no need to question you. From this we believe you came from God. So the pre-existence of Christ is clear uh, in the New Testament. And, and then there are other scriptures, of course, that reveal the uh, incarnation. I've got a bunch, I'll just read a couple. Isaiah 9, verse 6, unto us a child is born. That's speaking of Jesus, the Christ child, who was born in that barn and laid in a feeding trough. Uh, and we have the record there in the Gospels. Unto us a child is born. That's Jesus Christ, his physical birth. Unto us a son is given. And see, that's Jesus' spirit, the real him. He came from the Father, and he came into a human body, and he preexisted that body. So it says, for unto us a child is born, his physical person. Unto us a son is given, and that's Jesus, the Son of God, deity. And the government will be upon his shoulder. Now that scripture just skipped thousands of years. The government will be upon his shoulder in the millennial reign of Jesus. When he comes back, how many know he's going to rule the world and you're going to help him in a glorified body? Isn't that awesome? You've got a lot of big stuff in your future. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Romans 8, 3, what the law could not do in, it, in that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So, so here's the skinny. So, so here it is. Uh, the angel says, um, the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, says to Joseph, that child is God's son. He's deity. The virgin will conceive, bear a son, God with us, Emmanuel. All right, so, so there's three things that happen if you believe that. So, so here's the skinny. If you believe that, uh, number one, it's a challenge. It's an intellectual challenge to every human person. So every person in the room you're watching, perhaps today or later on our feed, um, if you believe this, in fact, this knowledge itself demands action, one way or the other. How many hear what I'm saying? If God who is bigger than his creation, could come and live inside of it. Live in the human body that he created. Lay aside all, and we'll get into that in a minute, lay aside all of, his, all of the power of his office and just live as a human. If God can do that, that's a miracle. If he can do that, he can raise the dead. If he can do that, he can heal your sick body. If he can do that, he can answer your prayers. If he can do that, he can solve your problems, yes. So, so if you believe this, see, it challenges us. It challenges us to trust him. Secondly, if you believe this, if you hear it, you've got to do something with it. So what, that's my question, what are you going to do with Jesus? Jesus creates extreme reactions. Huh? You read through the Gospels, he's like, what do you mean? Well, you read through the Gospels, he's preaching in the city. They get so angry at him, they take him up to a, to a, 
to a, a, a hill, a cliff, and they were just about to throw him off. And he says, not today, and walks right through them. They were angry. They didn't want him around. Here's another guy. I just read it in my personal devotions this week. Here's the guy who ruled the town cemetery. He was a sadomasochist. He was just demented and demonic. And he, and he would hurt people. He would hurt himself. Nobody would go to the cemetery. They hate having to bury somebody. Got to go meet the madman of Gadara here today. Well, Jesus comes up to the guy and casts a demonic spirit out of him. It goes into these swine pigs and the whole bunch of pigs, 2,000 run and kill themselves, run off a cliff. And you know what the people did? Get out of here. We don't want you in our city. It's amazing to me. You can have a miracle and some people want to have nothing to do with Why? Because you've got to make a decision about Jesus Christ. Other places, you know, people will bow down before him. And say, Jesus, who are you? Who are you, Lord? And you know, they would, they would walk with him. Jesus demands a decision. He doesn't leave you the way you are. I say he's kind of like a cue ball. He ever played pool? Now, I've got a game of pool on my pad. <laughs> I play it when I got some free time. And you know, you rack your balls in the, in the triangle, you know. And, uh, and then you got your cue ball, the white cue ball, and... You know, you sit it down and you figure out what angle you want to hit the balls. But when the cue ball hits the other ones, everything moves, right? That's your goal anyway, right? You hit it hard enough. And that's the way Jesus is. He's like a cue ball. Everything he touches, there's a reaction. So what's your reaction? You know, let me be real. I don't like to tell people, you know, I've traveled a lot in missions trips and such and uh, been all over India, Africa, other parts of the world, and, you know, of course, a lot of plane flights and all that, so I'm constantly sitting beside strangers, people I don't know, and, and so, you know, engaging, you know, uh, banter, conversation, and, uh, and I just don't like for the conversation to go, well, what do you do? And I don't, I try not to tell people I'm a pastor. I'm not kidding. You know, I, I try not to even go there because of the extreme reactions I get. Rare is the occasion I say that, and somebody says, well, that's just wonderful. Usually, so really. And then they're just kind of like, okay. And they read a book or they find a way to disengage. Why? Because when you talk about Jesus the Christ, there's something about him that is polarizing. You hear me? You've read the Gospels, right? Jesus said, I've come to set a father against a, a, a mother, a son against his father, his mother against his daughter, and the man's will be those of his own household. Why do you say that? He, he brings a demand. And if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you believe he's God, that very belief demands something. And that you do one of two things. You run off. I mean, listen, I've seen a lot of people over the years of my life, they run away. Because what does if, if Jesus is God, I have to submit to him. And you know what it is with a lot of people? They don't want to submit because they like life the way it is. There's a lot of people that come to church all over the world, in America too. We got people in church on Sunday morning. They love to sing about Jesus, love the songs, but don't get too deep in the Word because you're demanding something from me. You're demanding that I, I obey this, and I'm not quite ready to do that. See, Jesus is polarizing. You get it? 
He demands attention. So you're going to give it. Either you're going to run away. If you run away, you still meet him at the end of life. Either now or later, we deal with Jesus Christ. Right? That's kind of a big deal. So it, it brings you to a point of decision. And so let me say, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, it changes how you live or you don't believe it. A lot of people say they believe in Jesus, but they're still fornicating sex outside of marriage. They're still lying, cheating, stealing, doing things they shouldn't do, cursing, using God's name. Oh, but praise the Lord. No, no, no. If you really believe, it changes how you live. Huh? Full. Uh, then number three, it gives you hope to believe that Jesus is God. I mean, Francois, she's been in our church for years now. You know, she's no longer here. See, the, the thing that absolves and helps our grief is we know we're going to see her one day. Susan's mama, Susan's daddy, what, eight years, nine years ago, ten years ago. Um, and then my dad and then other family members. And you got people that you know and love, people in our church. They've gone, they've died. And, and the hope we have, because we believe in in the virgin birth is that we're going to see them again if they're born again. Yeah, isn't that great? It, it gives you hope that, that life is okay. And it also, it also gives you hope that God's concerned about you. See, see if you believe that, that Jesus is God, then God's more than just this holy big being that demands that you live right. And if you'll just follow some rules and do, do it the way that he wants you to do it, then maybe you can kind of squeak it in the pearly gates one day. That's a person who thinks God's just holy. Or you got a whole bunch of people worldwide now that think God is a God of love. I hear it all that, well, God is love. And so because God is a God of love, then I can just, he just loves me. He just loves, well, I know I'm bad, but he loves me. And, you know, he's not going to let me go to this place the Bible calls called hell because God loves me. You know, that, that, that is, there's a lot of that these days. But see, what people don't factor in is the Bible God, the God of the Bible. He's both. He's holy. And that means sin can't come near him. You get it? But then he's also love. And here's the skinny of, of the virgin birth. Because God is holy. And because he does love us. He wanted of himself to do something about our sin. He couldn't send an angel. Nobody else could do it. He had to do it himself. So what did he do? He lives outside of creation. Hear me. And this is the Christmas story. He loves you so much that he decided to come live inside of his creation and inhabit a human body like you have and go through everything that you face and go through. And he chose to become the sin that you are and I am. And he chose to pay that penalty for sin for us. Take our place in death. Go to hell where we should go. And stay there until God was satisfied that our sin debt was paid and then be raised up from the dead. Now that is love. God didn't have to do that. He could have just left things the way they were. Kesarasara. Whatever will be, will be. But his love compelled him to send his son to be one of us. Now that's a big deal. That's why we sing these Christmas tunes. That's why these themes are so deep. Number two, so, so Jesus is God. Number two, Jesus is human. 
Now, how many know that's a really big deal? A couple of uh, weeks ago, I wrote a, a blog called The Kenosis of Christ. And there's a Greek word in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, it's the word kenu. It means to empty out or to completely empty something out. And so we call it the kenosis of Christ, where, where the Christ, the second member of the Trinity, laid aside all of his God ability and came to live as a human. Philippians 2, 5, you must have the same attitude Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died the death of a criminal. Now, that's a big deal. Here's God. Think about, think about uh, reading in history about a king or, or uh, uh, those in uh, antiquity who were kings. They were royalty. They have servants. They have the most opulent palace to live in. Uh, everything's gold-plated, you know, silver-plated, pearls, this, that, the other. Everything's just perfect. Life is wonderful, you know. Musicians go before them and announce their coming and they have, they have people that take care of their every whim. And here's God who is a king who laid it all down. God who has all power. He created me and you and everything we see. All of the vast complex universe he's still creating probably because his word continually works. But he laid all that aside. Jesus Christ laid it all aside. And he decided because he loved us to live as we do. That means he had to grow up in a human body, learn who he was. He didn't know he was God laying there in that as a baby, sucking a bottle. No, he didn't know. The Holy Spirit had to reveal to him who he was. He laid aside all of his God ability. He had to go to the bathroom. He wore a diaper the way you do. He had to go to the bathroom. He had to bathe. He had to work. He had to sweat. He had to obey mom and dad. He had to face every inconsistency of life that you face. He faced isolation. He faced cruelty, barbaric punishment for things he didn't do. He faced unfairness. He faced death. He faced every single thing that you and I do. And he did it as God. And that's incredible, y'all. I mean, you need to sit back sometime and just think about that. Now, now think about this one. Here's God who's a king. Comes and lives in a human body he created. Submits himself to all of the rules, laws, and regulations of a fallen world. Does it with a smile. And he relates to common people. Born in a barn. Laid in an animal's feeding trough. Was among the poorest of his culture. Get it. Now what does that say to you and me? Because Jesus is human, because he related to us, we need to relate to every person. So let me ask you a question. Are you comfortable around people who have less than you have? Can you go hang out with a person who has nothing? The street bum? Can you hang out with people who don't have, have a lot of money, who are poor? We call them poor. It's not politically correct now to call them poor, but do you hang out? Can you hang out with them just as easily as you could somebody who has the middle class lifestyle that you have, who has a nice car and a nice house and 
nice clothes, a bunch of pairs of shoes. Can you? Can you hang out with somebody who's really wealthy and it not bother you? See, Jesus could identify with every person. You know, uh, back uh, when we were in the shopping center, y'all give me a few more minutes. I've got to get through this. That won't take long. Uh, we were in the shopping center years and years ago, back in the late 90s. It was a real test for my congreg- our congregation. We were a young church, and uh, we had a man. If you were here, you remember. We had a man who was a street person, and he couldn't take a bath. And he would come to our church every Sunday morning. I think he later died. But he would come to our church every Sunday morning. And you could tell where he sat because the chair is soiled. And there's, there's dirt and just debris all around that chair. He started coming to our church, and I'd just kind of sit. I'd meet him. I'd go up and talk to him. But I watched our pee didn't smell good. I watched their responses. People would come up to him that sit in the chair in front of him, turn around and talk to him. He, I mean, he really smelled bad, y'all. They'd engage him in conversation. They'd pray for him, pray with him. They would hug him. I thought, you go, God. You go, God. Maybe he's an angel in disguise. Who knows? You go, God. Let's teach us how to live. Teach us how to relate to people who are unlike us. And sometimes, you know, somebody go to Arby's across the street, give him a sandwich, Chick-fil-A. Sometimes he had bow time. I thought, this is great. Look at this. Wow. I was proud of our congregation. See, that's what God did. He came to live like us. And you know what attitude we should have? When we approach the less fortunate than we, we need to love them, not judge them. Love them. Reach out a helping hand. Why do you think we do this stuff in these schools? We're going to do more. Why do we do all this stuff? Because we're supposed to help the underprivileged, right? Jesus did that for us. We should do it for others. Yes or no? Second thing of this, another thought here. Hebrews 2.17, therefore it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people since he himself had gone through uh, suffering and testing. He's able to help us when we're being tested. So, you know, when you're in a hard place in life, and I'm sure everybody in the room's been through several. The older you get, the more you'll have. But isn't it great to have somebody that can put their arm around your shoulder and say, you know, you're going to be okay. I've been there. Does that help you? You don't want somebody that knows everything and tells you how to get out of it. You just want to know that somebody cares. Is that right? Jesus went through every extremity that we do. Went through every hard place in life that we face he faced isolation he faced temptation he faced rejection he faced everything we face so you know what that means he understands us isn't it great again to go to somebody and and they can say i I understand you susan i told first services i had thought about it till first service but oh this is a tough day tough day in my life we were sitting at a restaurant do you remember the restaurant i do it no longer exists. We were sitting at the restaurant. She's sitting over across from me. And she says, Mitch, and she got a drink of her drink. I don't need you to fix me. 
I just need you to love me. That was a hard day for me. But it changed something inside me because I was fix-it man. I was here fixing everybody's problems at church. I go home and I got fixer. No, no, she just needs somebody to love her. And I don't need to love her and make her like me. I need to love her and let her be her, right? And there's how Jesus is. He's been where you are. If you ever feel like you're alone, if you ever feel like you're going through your stuff and nobody understands, he does. It's easy to pour your heart out to somebody who understands you. Would you agree with that? You know, in 2004, on the way to India, I had a, my, my appendix burst. And, uh, and I, I spent nine days in an Atlanta hospital, an emergency appendectomy. And I was really sick. I mean, I got an infection because of that. I mean, it was really bad. And the doctor told me 100 years ago I'd be dead, I mean, pretty quickly. It was hard, and I didn't like being in the hospital. But, you know, I learned a new respect for doctors and nurses, medical professionals, and um, and now, I, I'll weep with somebody. If somebody's in the hospital, I just cry right with you. Why? I've been there. So if you're going through a tough place, isn't it good to have somebody who's been there? Y'all, Jesus has been there. You can pour your heart out to this person. Thirdly, as I close, Jesus is with us. Now, I just want you to get the spirit of this. Mark three fourteen. he appointed 12. Jesus appointed 12. And then the next phrase gets me, that they might be with him. Think about God. He, he's bigger than the universe. He's bigger than his creation. He lives outside of the universe he created. I want you to get this. But he came and, and, and manifest as a man in Jesus Christ because he wanted to be with you. He didn't want to just forgive your sin. No, he wanted to actually do life with you. That's amazing. In fact, that's really incredible. Old Testament folk, I mean, you got Moses on Mount Sinai, Exodus 19. There's, there's lightning and thunder and everybody's afraid. Uh, uh, not even, a, not even a, an animal can go to the mountain or it'll die because of the presence of God. It's so pure and we're so sinful. Or you got a little guy that touches the Ark of the Covenant, drops, drops dead. Or, or Moses says, God, I want to see you. And God says, you can't see me. No man can see me and live. I'll put you in a cliff and I'll put my hand over you. But you can never see my face because he's too pure. And then you got Jesus the Christ, who's God. And he comes and lives like us because he wants to be with us. Jesus made a way for us to be with the Creator. Isn't that awesome? Oh, man, that, that's, that's, that's a big, big deal. Listen to this. And he wants you to be close to him. Closeness. How do you get closeness in a relationship? Well, closeness comes with communication. Right? If you want to get closer to your spouse, take some time to talk every day and just talk about stuff. Huh? You want to get closer to your kids? Talk. Sit down. Don't try to be a know-it-all. Just talk. Let them talk. Let them talk about their frustrations and their fears and their problems and their stuff. And don't have an answer. Just listen. Say, okay. See, if you want to get close, you've got to communicate. And that's, that's what Jesus wants. That's what God wants. He wants you to get close to him. So God with us, Emmanuel. God with us. I want you to hear what's behind that. What's behind that is somebody who's endeared to you. 
Isn't that incredible? So here's Jesus as I close. Philip's translation, John 14. If you really love me, you'll keep my commandments that I've given you, and I will ask the Father to give you someone else to stand by you and be with you always. I mean the spirit of truth, whom the world can't accept, for it can neither see nor recognize that spirit. But you recognize him, for he's with you now and will be in your hearts. I'm not going to leave you alone in this world. Do you hear what he's saying? I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm coming to you. In a very little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I, I am really alive and you'll be alive too. When that day comes, you realize that I am in the Father. You are in me and I'm in you. Every man who knows my commands and obeys them is the man who really loves me. And every man or woman who really loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love him and make myself known to him. Then, then skip down uh, verse 22, John 14. Then Judas, not Iscariot, said, Lord, how is it that you're going to make yourself known to us but not to the world? And then Jesus replied, when a man loves me or a woman loves me, he will follow my teaching. Then my Father will love him and we will come to that man and make our home within him. So we're singing these Christmas songs and we're talking about the virgin birth. It brings us to decision. What have you done with Jesus? Is he just a person in history? You sing some songs about once a year? You come to church and hear some stories about, read some Bible passages about him? And then go your way, and it doesn't change life. If that's the case, then that person really doesn't believe. But the fact that you believe in the virgin birth, it means it changes how you live. It changes how you talk. It changes how you conduct business. It changes how you deal with moral things. You can't live as you did before if you know him. He brings change. You can run but you can't run far enough because at the end of life, he's standing in front and he's asking about you. Get it? Now, Jesus is human. He understands us. See, I ask myself, am I willing? Am I willing to relate to people who are unlike me? People who we consider less than? They don't dress right. They don't smell right. right. They don't look right. Am I willing to relate to people? Maybe, maybe, they're the, maybe they're the people who are wealthy in culture. They have everything, and you're afraid to even speak to them. Jesus could. Can you? Can you relate to people not like you? That's what he did in the incarnation, God with us. Do you pull your heart out to him? He's a person who's been where you've been experience what you experience what you're experiencing right now and he wants you to talk to him he wants to be with us he's a person who you can pour your heart out to you can tell him your fears your frustrations your failures your successes your problems your challenges you can lay them out say god i need help Proverbs says there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I think that's Jesus. So what is he to you? He's like a cue. He's, he's, like a, he's like the cue ball in pool. He affects us. 
Does he drive you away? Does he pull you away?